Hey there, dog people of the internet. I'm Sarah Stremming, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I share my thoughts, experiences, and cases as I interview experts and answer your questions when it comes to the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. It's a new year and I have a news flash. Black lives still matter. I'm looking forward in 2021 to not only continuing to donate to causes that I believe in, but also to providing more of a platform for BIPOC voices in the dog world here on Cog Dog Radio. So stay tuned. Friends, I'm excited to let you know about Connection Summit Conversations. This is six candid conversations between Marissa Martino, myself, and occasionally a special guest covering everything from the human half of dealing with dog-directed reactivity to the importance of play. So check out the link in the show notes. We're getting started soon and you won't want to miss it. Okay, dog people, today I'm going to talk about barking. And the reason I'm going to talk about barking is because I now have a barky dog. So I have an Icelandic sheepdog now. And my previous episodes about barking were informed by my clientele, but also by my border collies who are not very loud. Um, Certainly they bark, but they're not known for being vocal. Whereas this breed, the Icelandic, they are known for being vocal. So the number one question I get about her, her name is Rhea, is, is she barky? Is she too barky for you? How are you dealing with the barking? And what's interesting about that is that, yes, she is more vocal than a border collie, but no, she's not as vocal as most of the Shelties that I've been around, for instance. And what's interesting about her is that she tends to be barking at stuff rather than just barking to bark. So let's talk about a few of the different um, types of barking or, you know, barking that I'm observing in her. Because while my opinions about barking have not really changed, my experiences have. And so I think it's important to just kind of talk about those so that we can be smart about what we're dealing with uh, when it comes to barking. So I look at barking as being in kind of one of three categories. They're either emoting, so they're just having a feeling and it's coming out as a bark. Usually that's going to be like excitement, but sometimes fear. And those barks certainly sound different or they are trying to affect change in their environment. So essentially barking for a consequence, or they may just kind of be processing. And that one might feel a little bit like it's got a foot in each of the previous categories to me. So I think sometimes the barking, the processing via barking starts out as just emoting, but quickly becomes consequence driven. So it may start out kind of respondent in nature, um, but switches over to being operant quite quickly. And whether or not that matters really depends on the dog, the situation, just so many things. I cannot make a blanket statement of this kind of barking you should interrupt and redirect and this kind of barking you should not. That's not really how things work. Um, Honestly, it's not how most things work in dog behavior anyway. So 
for me, the biggest change uh, with Rhea versus, say, my Border Collie puppies is that as a puppy, she might see something that is new to her, that is new in her environment and different, and she might process what that thing is with some barking. So she's still eating. She's still responding to cues. She's able to um, approach the thing. She's or she's able to make the choice to not approach the thing, but she's barking while doing it. And while one of my border collies might be way over threshold if they're barking at this new thing that they see, uh, Rhea's barking is less of an indicator that we are approaching or over threshold. So she will bark much sooner in that process than one of my Border Collie puppies will. So I tend to, when I can, so that really depends on the situation heavily, allow her, I just allow her to go through that process. I allow her to bark. Um, frequently, you know, maybe it's a new person or a new dog and she'll bark, bark, say hello, move on. Um, I would rather allow for that to happen and then allow for a normal greeting ritual to happen than try to interrupt and redirect her from barking. If she is on leash and she is not going to be allowed to say hi, that's when I will um, kind of try to get her out of the situation. But more often than not, I just allow her to bark a little bit. She stops, we move on, and she's developing really nicely, honestly, into a pretty stable little teenager. And I don't think we're gonna have any problems long-term. So barking through processing, definitely something I witness. I tend to just kind of allow that to happen. I tend to allow that to just play out and allow her to have her process, just like I would allow a puppy that was not barking to have that process. So we need to look at the other behaviors that are present, not just the barking behavior. But we, the humans, the primates who hate barking, we tend to zero in on the barking, panic that the dog is barking and try to make the dog stop. And we do create problems when we do that. If she's just barking by emoting, I tend to try to just kind of go, okay, you know, you're excited right now. Wow. If I need you to be less excited or I need you to be quiet, I have ways of doing that. I can bring you down a notch maybe with a um, cookie scatter or something like that, or I can remove you from the situation. But usually it's fine. You know, she's running with the other dogs and she's barking. They're quiet, she's barking, but they're all running and having a fantastic time. And who am I to tell her that that's not okay? When that's who she is and who this breed has been for thousands of years. I try to just kind of get comfortable with the fact that she is expressing herself that way and that that's okay. It helps that she has a really cute vocal range. Like she has a lot of things that she says that are not barking things. So she talks a lot. I think it's cute. That works out for us. When I know that barking is predictable and, I, and it's problematic, I need to shape my, her behavior around it. I need to replace that barking behavior early and often with an easy alternative. So a behavior that she can do very, very easily instead of bark, okay? So what that is gonna look like is for instance, if I'm in my office and some of the, and I've got my three dogs in here, Felix, Iggy, and Rhea, and some of the other dogs in the house start barking, 
Uh, maybe at the delivery truck or maybe uh, Leslie just got home from somewhere. Um, perhaps she's seeing a client, they hear a car door close, they, they just might start barking. It is normal then for Rhea to join in that barking. So when they're a barky breed, they are really, really likely, they're easy to influence into barking, right? So they're like, oh, we're barking, like, yes, let's bark. I like barking. So what I have done with that is not worried about, you know, shushing or scolding or barking, but just when I hear the barking of the other dogs, I immediately just start delivering food to a specific place that I want her to be. So I don't tell her to go to the station. I just start putting food on the station. She's eight months old now. I've been doing that since I got her. And she now hears the other dogs start barking and goes to her station or goes to me if it's not clear to her which station she should go to because there are kind of dog beds throughout. And if a border collie is on the bed that she thinks she should probably be on, she just comes to me, which is perfect. So I've clearly taught her we're going to eat when that happens because eating is a viable option. Eating is about as likely as barking. And so because of eating being an easy thing for her to do it was easy to convince her that eating is what we should do instead of that specific type of barking so if you have a predictable pattern of barking that you would like to change simply convince the dog to do something else but that other thing has got to be likely it's got to be a thing they like doing it can't just be you know be quiet <laughs> so I'm trying to shape my behaviors um, around when I know barking is likely. I do the same thing with, um, if we walk into a building, she'd like to announce her presence. And so I've uh, gotten in the habit of walk into the building, put a few treats on the ground, let her eat those treats, then proceed. So that her first thing she does when she walks into a building is sniff, drop her head, rather than start barking and announcing her presence. And that's gonna help us later on with dog shows and agility trials, but it also helps us now when we say go to um, a pet store to buy some treats and we are, you know, walking in there together or maybe, you know, recently we started walking into hotels again and I don't want her to announce her presence every time we walk into a hotel because that's a nuisance and so teaching her when we go into a building you can expect food on the ground is something that's working out for us pretty well also just know what emotions cause barking or, or at least like kind of what arousal states cause barking and then if barking is a problem you're going to want to avoid that specific arousal state in that situation so i try to keep arousal super low um, if we are say again in a hotel or anywhere else that we can't really have barking um, i'm trying to keep arousal at kind of a, a, a good place for a lot of her competition types of behaviors. If I do obedience with her, she cannot bark during obedience, but she can bark during agility. And so I'm not concerning myself a whole lot with her barking during agility behaviors. Usually it's just a one little woof of excitement 
or it's you're frustrating me and so I'm barking. So I really try to avoid that frustration piece. I don't want to frustrate her in my training. But one little woof as I release you uh, to chase your toy or chase me down, I'm actually happy about it. I love that. It tells me that she's actually in the right state of mind for agility. It tells me that she's where I want her to be. Obedience is a little bit different. She may decide that barking comes along with the emotional state that I'd like her to be in doing obedience. If she decides that, I am not going to fight her on it. So I am the one that got this breed that I know is Barky. I do like obedience, but I have other dogs to do obedience with. If she thinks she needs to bark during heel work, for instance, um, which I'm of course teaching her now and, and, and working hard to avoid, it's not a battle that today I think I want to fight. You know, talk to me in a few years, we'll see about it, but it's not a battle that today I want to fight because Again, like I said, this breed since the time of the Vikings has been barking and using their voice to do basically everything. And fighting that is a little bit like, I also don't fight my border collies who want to sit like a vulture on the start line. I just teach them to jump well from vulture position. So um, I just, anytime I can avoid fighting what the dogs deep-rooted ancestry tells them is right, then I will avoid that. So I hope that this was interesting to you and not just kind of repetitive. If you've got a Barky breed, chime in over on Patreon. Let's discuss how you deal with it. All right, and now some Patreon questions. The first one comes from Alyssa who writes, do you have a protocol for dogs? whose greatest challenge is reacting to sudden environmental contrast. So SEC or sudden environmental contrast or sudden environmental change is kind of, it's exactly as it sounds. It is a brand new thing showing up in the environment. And my first piece that I have to talk about is the number of breeds that have been designed specifically to react to sudden environmental contrast. Anything with a guardian history is definitely going to be high on the list for um, having what we would call reactions to sudden environmental contrast. And we need to respect that. So just like Rhea, my barky Icelandic sheepdog, has an ancestry that tells her to bark in order to alert people to things, to process things, to have emotions. And I kind of have, you know, no business trying to have a huge effect on that. We need to also think about any type of guardian breed um, having these reactions. And honestly, any dog, because any dog's evolutionary history would probably tell them besides dogs that have been specifically bred for companionship or even service work to react to SEC. So for me, I'm going to say, is this who my dog is? And can I just acknowledge their reaction and then and thank them and then ask them to do something else? And then if this is affecting my dog's quality of life, so not just mine, negatively, can I desensitize? Can I embark with the help of a trainer who is skilled in this area upon desensitizing my dog to SEC? And then I can even do um, something like what I talked about with Rhea regarding uh, 
predictable moments of barking, I can even produce an alternative behavior as long as that alternative behavior is highly likely and enjoyable and easy to engage in for the dog. So can I even teach the dog when they see something new to check in with me for food? Um, there is not a magic trick here. And I think when the phrase sudden environmental contrast or SEC kind of hit the scene and people started talking about it, they started talking about it as if it's some different unicorn um, that is different from any other kind of response that the dog might have that is a response that we don't love. So think about who the dog is. Think about what is going to be most helpful for that dog um, in those situations and then proceed on your kind of action plan for it. Next one comes from Joy. How can I help a young dog be more aware of his body with regard to other dogs and people? My 17-month-old Border Collie boy, Sarek, is very body aware in general, but doesn't seem to notice or maybe care if he runs into other dogs or people when he's excited. I've implemented rules with me, like he has to walk calmly behind me up and down the hall, he must either go ahead or behind me on the stairs, but my other dogs are not implementing the same rules, and I don't want him to accidentally hurt anyone else. So any ideas for how to get him to be more careful around his siblings? So, Joy, I would wager that he's aware and it has not been made um, important to him to worry about running into other dogs. So I actually um, this is this is an area where I will actually apply a punisher. And, you know, if you listen to the punishment episode, you know that that means there needs to be a positive reinforcement plan. You have done that. You have taught him to walk calmly with food so i would first start to ask him to walk calmly with just the other dogs and then i would actually you know i've been known to tell the dog and now you have to try that again and i bring the dog back to the beginning of the hall where they ran down it like a cannonball and ask them to walk nicely down the hallway i may put them on a leash after they've blown down the hall and insist that they walk nicely on the leash if if any one of my dogs runs into Iggy when we're out on a trail, I they get a quick time out. I mean, they that cannot be allowed, basically. Um, and so it is a situation where if one of your other dogs bit him, so if one of your dog, other dogs actually attacked him for running into them, he would be more careful about it. <laughs> but your other dogs are not doing that because they're lovely. And so he, he says, it doesn't matter to me. I can just plow through this space like a cannonball. I assume you've taught him with positive reinforcement to walk behind you um, or, or to go ahead of you and kind of be respectful of your space. I would make every effort to teach him to do that in, with the exact same method around your other dogs. And then I would, I would personally probably implement a consequence because it's a previously reinforced behavior pattern. And by consequence, I do mean a punisher. But go back to the punishment episode so that you have a good, solid plan for that. Next one comes from Aaliyah, and this is pretty long, um, so I'm going to shorten it down. Essentially, Aaliyah has a German Shepherd that does not like to be looked at by people, mostly men. So the dog um, is, 
you know, kind of okay around people until they look at her and make intent to touch her, maybe. So um, the dog will just have a loud display of barking. So the question is, any suggestions for steps I can take to help get her more comfortable? She has severe separation anxiety, so leaving her home's not an option. Um, and the dog is really a perfect cafe dog if people just ignore her. So I would actually try to manipulate the people and not your dog. It sounds like your dog is doing a really good job. She's doing the best that she can. And it isn't, you know, you had, you mentioned in the question that the dog will approach and sniff a person, but you try not to let her do that. Agree with that. Do not allow her to approach and do not allow them to approach. So this is a situation where no one is allowed to look at your dog or touch her. And she has to learn that that's going to be true. She has to learn that you're not going to allow people to invade her space. So one of my tips for that is I like to put a kind of vest or harness on the dog. I am not saying pretend she's a service dog. I'm saying put a vest on her that says in training, do not touch. You can even put no eye contact on the other side, right? So then, first of all, people are not going to look at her face. They're going to look at her vest and read it. And that's going to be kind of the starting point. If you see somebody looking at your dog and walking over to approach, I want you to put your hand up in the air and say, please give my dog space or please back up or my dog doesn't want to say hi. You know, say something before it's an issue and then reinforce, reinforce, reinforce all of the good cafe behaviors that she's doing. Do not take them for granted. Huge high rate of reinforcement for any non-reactive, quiet cafe dog types of behaviors. Do not let anyone approach her. Do not even let anybody look at her and um, have that vest on that says, you know, leave me alone, essentially. Best of luck with that, Aaliyah. Last one for today comes from Jen, who writes, uh, this is a question about how you would handle a hypothetical situation with Rhea. You've spent a lot of time doing happy crating with Rhea, and now you're practicing stationing around other dogs, carefully building up the challenges. Let's pretend you've already progressed to where she can handle watching other dogs on the station comfortably. How would you respond if Rhea starts barking in her crate in a working environment, such as a class or at a trial where you're running one of your other dogs? I'm interested in how, in both how you would respond in the moment at the event when she's barking and also your thought process of what you go back to work on in training. So first of all, I really like that you did this kind of background here that um, if Rhea cannot station while other dogs work and while I work another dog, then she's not ready to be created in that working environment. If she can do that and so i choose to create her in a working environment i am still going to make sure that she doesn't actually have to watch me train or run the other dog um because i'm not there to help her do that and and positively reinforce her for stationing because i don't use a lot of reinforcement for crating i want it to be a kind of boring place where the food's not flowing. I'm going to have barriers so that she cannot see what's going on. And if she tells me, even with the barrier, I cannot be quiet, then what I back up to is, first of all, I never ask her to do something that she indicates to me she cannot do. So how I'd respond in the moment is I would remove her from the situation. I can, I, I might try to first do that visually, so put up a different barrier. Um, put a fan on her and then put a blanket over the crate, etc. If 
that does not solve the problem, I'm immediately going to put her in the car. And if putting her in the car is not an option, I'm going to go home. It's not okay with me to continue to practice that behavior. So that's how I respond in the moment. Then my plan is, you know, what does she need to be able to do this? To me, this is not about training them not to do a thing. It's about providing a, a holding area that they can exhibit comfort in. And I will be very honest with you, this is not something that I routinely ask my dogs to do because I think it is a lot to ask. And I think we already ask a lot of them. So if I'm creating indoors at an event, it is probably because there is a separate room for my dogs to be in where they can relax. Or at like a national event, I always rent a stall so that my dogs have kind of their own private space. It's important to me that they actually have real downtime at those events and they won't if they're essentially stationing but in the crate so jen i hope that makes sense be sure and let me know um, if you still have questions on that and thank you everybody for submitting questions are you on patreon yet it's where you can get all the extras for this podcast the original tier over there still exists where the dog people of the internet provide the questions for the episodes and guide the content of the podcast but there's a new tier you can become a cog dog arena and get access to my training sessions with my own dogs so that includes agility obedience behavior and stuff with my brand new puppy Rhea, live guest chats and more so go to patreon.com slash cog dog radio the link is in the show notes. You don't want to miss out.